0: from our study of uh, 1 Timothy. Uh, The next couple of weeks, we're going to be focusing more on the Christmas story. And when we think about the Christmas story, typically we go to uh, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And what I really want to do over the next couple of weeks is help us to understand uh, the basis for many things that took place there. In other words, the Old Testament prophecies from which uh, that foretold the coming of Christ and all of the circumstances that would surround uh, his birth. First of all, I want to read this morning from Matthew chapter 2. Now, Je- after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Ju- of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, For so it has been written by the prophet. So this morning we're going to go to Micah chapter 5 where it actually is written in the prophets about this little town of Bethlehem. I'm going to read verse 1, but we're going to skip over it when we start studying. But just to put things in perspective. Now, muster yourselves in troops, daughter uh, of troops. They have laid siege against us with a rod. They... Uh, They will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. And then this blessing comes. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be the ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up. Until the time when he who is in labor has born a child, then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth, and then our Advent verse, and this one will be our peace. You and I read that, and and, and, and if we know much about Christmas and we know much about the gospel at all, if we just read Micah chapter 5, we would know that it's talking about Jesus, right? Even though these words were spoken roughly about 700 years ago. 700 years actually before the birth of Jesus, 2,700 years ago from where we are this morning. You probably heard this before that the uh, the Hebrew words Bethlehem that actually or that phrase actually means house of bread. Now, why do you think it was called Bethlehem? Was called the house of bread. Very often we talk about the city of David, but you need to understand something that uh, that is probably more accurate to call it the village of David or the small town of David that bethlehem was and remained a very rural kind of community from the days of micah all the way into the days of jesus very much focused on agriculture if you think about the book of ruth ruth and naomi wound up in bethlehem and boaz was a farmer there for the barley harvest and all of that. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper this morning. And we always think about uh, what Jesus tells us in John chapter 6 that he indeed is the bread of life. And, uh, and we should think about the place where Jesus uh, was born. Uh, In light of that, it seems being the bread of life, part of the bread of life, was part of the picture from the very, very uh, beginning of his life. It's the place where Samuel had gone to many years before that for a purpose. And the purpose was to go to the house of Jesse and uh, 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 from the sons of Jesse to anoint one of them as the one who would become the king to replace King Saul. If you remember the story at all that uh, David wasn't even there at the time, he was out shepherding the sheep, and that should tell you something about his significance even within the family network. Not considered probably to be anyone of the special significance or anything like that. You wonder why it is that Jesse didn't even bother to bring David to the house when all the other uh, sons were there. It's funny how Samuel, when he first was introduced to these sons, the oldest came and he's thinking this must be him because he looks very much like a king. Must have been of great stature and very handsome looking and, and all those kinds of things that you and I might picture in our head. And But then, but then he then, he goes through the first seven sons of Jesse, and, 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 and the Lord tells him these are not him. And so it's only after he inquires, is there another one that Jesse brings David in? Now, one of the things I want us to consider this morning is how God uses insignificant places like Bethlehem. No one would have ever thought for a minute that the great king to come would have been born in the town of Bethlehem. And how often he uses people who in the eyes of other people would have been very insignificant. You may see yourself that way. Maybe you grew up in a household where you really didn't feel like you were very significant. Maybe you were the youngest or you're the oldest or the one in between or, you know, for this reason or that reason. You were, you know, covered on each side by brothers and sisters. And for for one reason or another, you might have considered yourself to be kind of really insignificant, insignificant, not that important as far as the family goes. You may have grown up in a culture in your school life and all of that where you almost felt like an outsider much of the time. And and you didn't really, you, you never seen very much significance in yourself. And sometimes that's being reinforced by other people. But let me tell you, if that describes you, then God can use you in a way you've, can't even begin to imagine as we said before that this, the, the village of Bethlehem is also very often called the city of David and David is recognized as being by far the greatest king that Israel ever had But at the same time we know that there he was only a prototype in a sense and not even a good prototype of the real and true king to come in Christ Jesus. Paul will write these words many, many years after Micah spoke in the days of Hezekiah. He writes this to the Corinthians and he, and he writes it we need to understand because he knows it's really going to hit the right note for at least some of them he says this he said god has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and god has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong how often how often have we seen that 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 truth become reality And I've seen God use people over and over again, and and very often my first impression of them was not necessarily a good one. It wasn't that I thought there was anything in particular special about them. And God has shown me to be wrong time and time and time again. You are some of those people. Think about this this morning. Uh, every year the kids asked me and Lori asked me. The kids stopped asking me a few years ago <laughs> what I want for Christmas. Lori still does. Uh, and the reason they stopped asking me is because they knew what I would say because I was telling them the same thing every year for years. They would ask me, and what I would say is this, is what I want for Christmas is peace on earth. And if I can't have that, I'd settle for peace in the church. Have we ever stopped to think what gift God got from all of this? In other words, have we ever asked God, what do you want for Christmas? Well, the answer to that question we know. And the answer is God wants you. He wants you for His own. And He's done absolutely everything necessary. To make that a reality. You see this is the one thing. That makes the insignificant. Very significant. Those who are of little importance. Very important. In the fact that the God. Who made this universe. By speaking the words. Wants you so badly. As his own. That Jesus was sent into the world to live for you, to die for you, to be resurrected for you. Can you think of a greater message than that? Really? I mean, doesn't, doesn't, even though you've heard the gospel over and over and over and over again, and, and maybe you preach it to yourself over and over and over again, doesn't, doesn't it still seem like it's just a little bit too good and too great to believe it? But it's true, guys. I know it is. You know it is. God loves us that much. Could we ask for anything more? It's an amazing thing. Our God is an amazing God. If you ever think you have him figured out, he will show you that you do not. And it will not take much time for you to come to that conclusion. So what do you want for Christmas? This one... Is described as his goings forth are from long ago, from days of eternity. Very often, one of the attributes that we talk about that that, that set God apart as being absolutely unique is the fact that He is eternal. One of the attributes that is ascribed to the baby Jesus in, in Isaiah chapter nine is that He is the eternal Father. Have you ever thought about, that's the one place in Scripture where Jesus is called the Father? It's also said there that he's eternal. Have we ever thought about the fact that that even though Isaiah teaches that, that Micah also teaches the same doctrine about Jesus? That he is eternal. And if he is eternal, that demands something. And that demand is this, and that is that he be God. Because God is the only thing that is eternal. Everything else, every other being is temporal. See, his human nature was born in Bethlehem, but his divine nature has always been. Verse 3 tells us that, uh, that he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child, then the remainder of the brethren will return to the sons of Israel. We can't say for certain because we can't. Jump back in time and walk the streets of Bethlehem and Jerusalem in the days of Jesus. But I would be willing to bet you this that for the most part, the Jewish people at that point in time felt very much abandoned. If you consider their history, trouble with the Syrians and then trouble with the, Assyri- the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians. And then the Medes and the Persians, and then the ones in between, but in their day, the Romans, year after year after year of oppression. Now, we know the story, uh, and we understand this, that Israel was given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, after opportunity to follow the Lord their God who manifests himself among them in ways that really are inconceivable to you and to me. And yet repeatedly they turned away from him and they turned to foreign gods and the idols of the land and they worshipped as unbelievers, false gods. So we understand why in the world that they were oppressed and why they felt probably very much abandoned. Have you ever felt abandoned? In other words, forgotten by other people. My father his his mind is not good. Uh, he says things that make absolutely no sense very often uh, but there's some things that are very clear hes i mean he's he's been dying now for two years, and if you had seen him two years ago and you, you would you watched him along the way, you would see that yourself. Some things I was I was contemplating this week, uh, uh, the circumstances that he's in. And I have to confess to you, I haven't really been a very understanding son. <laughs> you know, a lot of I've, what I've experienced is frustration and, and this kind of thing over the last couple of years. But something that dawned on me the other day, and it kind of came to a head because Lori and I had some papers that we needed to get him to sign. All to his advantage, it was to take care of some financial things, and by him signing the papers, that actually saved him maybe thousands of dollars. Uh, but when we go and ask him for a signature, sometimes we're not sure what he's going to say and how he's going to react to it. And and, and, and Lori, i are the only two people in the family that can do it, because my mother won't do it, my brother won't do it, nobody else will do it. And things like this have to be done. So who do they just assume is going to do it when the time comes? <laughs> So we went the other day to get him to sign these papers. And I just said, I you know, asked him how he was doing, how did he feel, and I said, do you feel like signing some papers? And his response was this. To commend me? Is this what it is? Which doesn't surprise me. But what, he told, what it tells me is this. He's afraid to be abandoned. And he's afraid that those people around him are going to abandon him. And we've seen this over and over again, some of the things that he said to Lori and I. And it really didn't really hit home with me so much until just a few days ago. And that is this. It doesn't matter why or if it's true or whatever. What I'm telling you is he feels like he's, he's terrified at this point that he's going to be abandoned by everybody. Most of us know what that feels like. At some time in your life, you felt kind of the same thing. You, you felt like maybe, maybe a dear friend of yours kind of betrayed you, and you felt abandoned by them. Maybe, maybe your parents at some time in your life, for one reason or another, did some things that made you feel like you were abandoned. This is where Israel in general was. The remarkable thing is this is that when when Jesus is actually born and the news starts to spread, how many people refuse to accept it? The solution to their abandonment or their sense of abandonment. There's actually something within each one of us that that is afraid of being abandoned and at the same time we expect to be abandoned. It has to do with our sinful nature. That same sinful nature that says the gospel is just too great and too deep, too good. For me, who doesn't deserve such a thing? Abandonment, not the end of the story for Israel or for us. We'll be picking up here next week. As we go into the Lord's Supper, what I want us to do is try to take this passage that we just considered and apply it to the Lord's Supper. This Lord's Supper is many things, and one of those is this. It's a picture of God's refusal to abandon people people that from his perspective in absolutely every way were very 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 emphasized, worthy of being abandoned. This, my friends, is a measure of your value to God.